0: Good to be sharing God's uh, word with you again. And uh, as is my usual custom, I mean, the first hymn, the first, hymn, the first sermon of the uh, year is normally one about new beginnings and a new start or some sort of sermon along those lines. So we'll keep that tradition going. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 7. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 7. We'll just read one verse today. It's about a particular character. That you probably know well, who experienced a new beginning, who had a new start. Second Samuel, chapter twenty-one. The glasses might help. Special welcome to our visitors today as well. Hope you uh, enjoyed the service so far, and. Uh, and you'll be blessed by the message. 2 Samuel chapter 21, verse 7 says, But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Let's look at this, uh, this passage now and we'll, um, we'll see what the Lord has for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that every day is new with you and your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for the wonderful forgiveness that we've experienced because of Jesus' love for us. We thank you that we can sing songs to you and that there is joy in our heart because we have that joy in Jesus Christ. So we pray now that he'd be glorified. We pray that your spirit would be working in and among us to prepare our hearts for whatever you have for us today that your word might might impart the truth to us and we might live by that truth we thank you once again for the blessings that we have because we have your word and for the holy spirit who lives in our lives we thank you in jesus name amen does the new year bring new hope for you what plans do you have for 2017? Have you said to yourselves? Have you promised yourself that 2017 will be different to 2016? Who's already made those vows to themselves? Oh, you have. You've made those vows. Good. Now, for many, for many people, as the fireworks go off and the uh, you know people are banging, as I said, pots and pans. There's so many. They used to bang pots and pans a lot more. Um, when I was younger, they don't bang them as much. I miss the pots and pans. <laughs> 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 yeah, they're all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Tough boy's <a> bit hard. <laughs> That's right. Um, look, for many, for many uh, people, or most people in the world, the new year brings along with it some sort of hope, even if it's some sort of artificial hope. You see, you can have, an, you can create an artificial hope for yourselves, even though. The circumstances may not really be changing. For some, for some people, that's a completely uh, created hope—a hope in really nothing substantial, but just a hope in possibly something might might be coming along. For many, the for many the years just roll on one after the other with no change and no difference, and so they approach the new year as if it was just any other any other time. For some, it's a time to make new promises, new resolutions, that they're going to be different, that things are going to be different and they're going to change. And for some, um, they don't make any resolutions at all because they've made them and they've never kept them. But in the Lord, there is always hope and there is always an opportunity for a new start. If God is anything to us because of who he is, he's always an opportunity for a new start. That's what the whole meaning of being born again is about. You know, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus that night, Nicodemus went to him in the dark because he didn't want to get caught out. He didn't want to get uh, you know, associated with Jesus too early on. You know, he, Jesus explained a few things to him and, and Nicodemus basically said, how can this thing, that these things be? that you're talking about. You know, How can a man be born again? Can he go back into his mother's womb? And Jesus says, well, yes, he can. But understand that that which is spirit is spirit and that which is flesh is flesh. A man is born of water, but he needs to be born both of the water and of spirit in order to have everlasting life. So he explained a few things to him there. Um, that's a new beginning. That's a new chapter in someone's life. And we speak about new chapters in people's lives when Something changes. Today's sermon is about a man who was desperately in need of a new chapter to open up in his life. A man who had no real hope for the future. In fact, when he, if you were in his position and we'll discover a bit more about him, you probably wouldn't have much to look forward to at all. But the kindness that we find in this story that comes from King David to this fellow called Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake is a beautiful picture of God's loving kindness and the tender mercies that we have received through Jesus Christ for Jesus sake. In a story, we find hope in a hopeless situation, a chance for a new start with a bright future. In this story, we see an amazing demonstration of grace. And if there's something that we need for 2017, every one of us, it's grace. It may be that there are some here this morning who are in desperate need of God's grace. Some of you may have already received and experienced God's grace and are counting that blessing every day of your lives. Um, Regardless of where you are today, Regardless of whether you have experienced God's grace already in your life and understand what it means or whether you're hoping to understand what it means, I hope that today's story will maybe spark some hope in you. And if you're struggling at the moment, understand that there's an opportunity for a new start and more grace. Because if grace can be found in a king, in a mortal king like King David, with all his faults and his flaws, then there is an amazing grace that can be expected from God who is perfect and loves perfectly. You know, when you're born into a certain family, oftentimes it will determine how you'll turn out in life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oftentimes, the type of family that you're born into will determine not only the person that you'll turn out to be, but also will determine the way other people will see you as well. You see, there are rich people in this world and rich families in this world and poor families in this world and middle class in this world. And sometimes they see each other differently. Huh? Sometimes the poor people look at rich, at rich, poor families, look at rich families and say, you know you've got what I don't have and I wish I had what you had and maybe the rich families look at poorer families and say, you don't deserve to have what I have. Sometimes the family or or most of the times, the families that we're born in will determine the way we grow up. They are the biggest influence on our lives. For instance, if you were born in the family of Windsor, you are born into the family of Windsor, it would generally mean that you have been born into some type of wealth. You're not going to be poor. It will also mean that you, ha- you are perceived in a certain way by other families. Okay? There's an expectation on the way you are to behave if you are a member of the Windsor family. For those of you who know, who the, I'm assuming you know who the Windsor family is. Maybe the way you're perceived in England will be one way, but maybe the way you're perceived in other countries may be a different way as well. So you don't have any choice about that. I mean, you can choose your friends, but you can't necessarily choose your family, can you? That can be said for a lot of other famous families as well. I mean, if you're born into the family of a famous athlete or the famous footballer or a a musician or a celebrity. I mean, people will see you in a different way and the way that family is generally perceived is is more or less right but maybe completely wrong as well. Imagine if you were born into into a notorious family. Imagine if your surname was Hitler. Imagine if I was born Frankie Hitler. Do you think that Frank Hitler would be given the same opportunity and being, being seen the same way as a Frank maybe as Maybe as I, I was growing up, people would recognize that name and they'd automatically judge me and my family because of what some other distant relation may have done. By the way, I have family members who we don't talk about either. <laughs> We don't talk about them too much at all. So being born into a particular type of family sometimes determines the outcome of your life, the way people see you, the way you grow up, the way you're taught, and the opportunities that you have in life. Mephibosheth was a descendant of King Saul. Now King Saul was the very first king of Israel. Not a particularly good king. He made some pretty bad blunders in his uh, reign. He failed to follow God's command. And at at one particular point, God said, I've had enough of you. I'm not endorsing you as king anymore. And the Bible actually says that God repenteth that he made him king. He was the first king of Israel. A period of kings which started after the judges. The people demanded a king. And God gave them a king, and he gave them King Saul. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 with me. First Samuel, go back one book in your uh, Bible. 15. Chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we'll look at verse 10 and 11. And we'll see what God says about Samuel. Sorry, about Saul. It says in verse 10, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel. Now Samuel was the prophet, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he is turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Go forward to verse 23. In that same chapter, it says, therefore, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou, speaking to King Saul, hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed. Their voice. So we have a situation here where God had anointed King Saul to be the king of Israel, and Saul failed to follow God's commandments. In one particular case, God had asked him to attack the the Amalekites and to wipe them out completely, to leave nothing. Instead, Saul, when he had won the battle, allowed the people to take certain spoils with a promise that they were going to um, do some sacrifices to God with them. And God said, what are you, why have you done this for? And he said to himself, he basically made up an excuse. But essentially what he did and what he owned up to here was that he feared the people more than he feared God. He chose to listen to them rather than listening completely to to God. And God basically said, you're not king anymore. God then anointed another man to be king. God chose another man to be king in his stead. And when Saul discovered and found out and knew that he embarked on a mission to kill this other guy who we know as King David. Before he could ascend to the actual throne he saw David as a threat because God had endorsed David now and he had been disendorsed and he wanted to kill David. Saul died during a battle he died and his son jonathan died in that same battle and after that we find a, a battle taking place between two families for a number of years you know you might think this is think this is strange that after one king dies there is a battle between two families for the rule of the of the country, but it is common almost everywhere. Especially if you have royal families, you know, if you are royalty like Kim Jong Un, um, and you're the the dictator of a particular country, um, what you do is you make sure you wipe out all the the possible threats to your kingdom which sometimes, and in his case, he knocks out his own family members to stop them from possibly usurping the the throne, as it were. Throughout history, what we do is we find when a particular king is defeated, or a particular king is in line for something else, we find power struggles that happen within those families. And whole families are wiped out because if you left a particular descendant of a particular rival king in place, they may rise up and build people around them and then threaten your rule. We see this in every culture, at every time, during in every part of the world, That people in power will use violence to destroy those that are a threat to themselves. And this was evident in, um, in Saul and David's lives. And this is true also, and it affected someone like Mephibosheth, who after Saul died and David became king, was earmarked as an enemy of David's family and those who supported David. You see, when... Saul died Saul's family or a general from Saul uh, who was under Saul anointed one of Saul's sons to be king when David was supposed to be king and Judah followed David but the, a number of other tribes followed Saul's son and there was a power struggle that began to go on and Mephibosheth was a descendant of Saul's family, of King Saul. So we find an interesting thing going on there. Now before we get into the story of Mephibosheth a little bit deeper, um, understanding that he was marked as an enemy of the rightful king, there's a spiritual lesson for us to learn here first that when we were created, when God made Adam and Eve, we were created as a royal family under the blessing of God, blessed to multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over it. But there were forces who saw our position or there were entities who saw our family and envied its rule. We became envied and hated and they devised a plan for our downfall. When Adam and Eve fell, because they gave in to this particular lie that Satan presented, and this promise that he presented, um, when Adam and Eve fell, our family, our earthly family, became accursed. Accursed. We became enemies of God. And every descendant, Of Adam and Eve are born with a curse upon them. Whether you understand that or not, every natural being in this planet is actually an enemy of God. Accursed. Enemies of God by descent, because we are associated with the rebellious family that that we belong to. And also enemies of God by nature. Because by nature we follow the things that our our parents have done before us and that is to do it our own way. To not comply with God's laws. To be rebellious in our spirit when God is all the while saying, I'm the rightful king, you need to be following what I'm telling you for your own good. But we see death and destruction from the very beginning of mankind's existence on this planet When the first two brothers, one killed the other one. And then after that, we see death and destruction all the way along. And guess what? What we see around us today. On a larger scale, death, destruction, envy, hatred, greed, and every other vice and problem that you can imagine is all there because we have a nature that we've inherited from from our parents. And by nature, we are children of wrath. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Death has passed upon all men for all have sinned, which means the Bible tells us very clearly that we are under the death sentence from God. Because we are associated with a rebellious family, but also by nature we do what that family does. And this was true for Mephibosheth. It was true because he was attached to a family that had rebelled against the rightful king. And they were earmarked for destruction. a bit of a background Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan Jonathan had been a very very close friend with David actually to say they were close is probably understating the friendship they actually had and even when Saul who was Jonathan's father wanted to kill David Jonathan actually helped David that's the type of friendship they actually had when David says in the Psalms there is, a, there is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother, he's talking about Jonathan. <clears throat> so we find in the final chapter of the first book of Samuel, so you've got two books of Samuel, in the, the final chapter there's a battle that takes place. And Saul and his son Jonathan, who is David, David's absolute best friend, both get killed in battle. And we find in the first chapter of 2 Samuel, David finds out about it. David finds out that his best friend, who has protected him and and been close with him, has died, as well as his father, who has sought to kill him during much of his life. So much so that David was in hiding most of the time. And we find the Bible tells us That when David found out, he spent the day mourning. Not just for Jonathan, but even for his father, who who was his mortal enemy. And what should have happened at that point is that God had anointed David already to be king. He should have already been made king. But something else happened. Another of Saul's sons was crowned king. And Israel became split for a number of years. During this time, as I've mentioned, there was a power struggle between David's family and Saul's family. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Just so we understand that this this thing went on for years. Okay? It wasn't just fixed up overnight. But for years, Second Samuel chapter three verse one says, "Now there was this is after King Saul died, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. That means that Saul's family was getting more and more power, and sorry, David's family was getting more and more power, and Saul's family was reducing in their power. It wasn't looking good for Saul's family. And Mephibosheth was a part of that family. Now, something interesting happens. Turn, go forward to chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. We find out that Mephibosheth was a cripple. He was lame. And we find out why. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on, of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel. That means they, were, they found it when they were killed. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass, as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So Saul's family was aware that if Saul ever died, that David's family was the rightful king. And there was a good chance that once they came into power, there'd be retribution taking place. So we find in this, this particular passage over here that when the, and you could call it his babysitter, babysitter, okay, they call this, this, uh, this lady a nurse. He was five years old. As she found out that King Saul and Jonathan had died, she panicked. She grabbed this five-year-old kid and as she ran, she dropped him. And by all intents and purposes, she probably broke his back. So he became lame on both his feet and he stayed lame for the rest of his life. The Bible also tells us that Mephibosheth, then they ran and they, and they lived in a very faraway place. So they could get away from what was possibly going to happen and all the turmoil that was going to happen. And they lived in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar literally means no pasture. A poor place. A place of no sustenance. So he was living in a place of poverty and want and he was a cripple. Because he was lame, he couldn't work. He had inherited virtually nothing. He lived in a place of poverty and death. This young man was in a very desperate situation. All he was waiting for was a knock at the door to come and that might mean that his days were over. The future wasn't looking very bright at all for Mephibosheth. He was earmarked for destruction. and he couldn't do anything about it. He couldn't even fight back. Yeah, the human race is in a similar condition. We are spiritually crippled. We were, God made us to be upright and we fell spiritually. We spiritually lost our legs a long time ago and there was nothing we can do to work our way back to God. There is no bright hope or bright future because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and all have sinned. There is no way because of our condition that we can save ourselves, fight back, or remove ourselves or extricate ourselves from the position that we're in. Do you know that the world lives in a spiritual wasteland? Many people or most people are trying to convince themselves that there is some way forward for them. Most people create their own religion in their lives. In fact, 99% of people in the world create their own religion. They'd rather not do it God's way. They'd rather do it their own way. So they create a God for themselves in their own image and they create laws and standards of their own making and then they hope... That one day, if they abide by those particular rules and laws, that they're going to one day make it into heaven. The lost sinner is absolutely destitute before the Lord God. Helpless, hopeless, and completely without power, the Bible says. The human condition is summed up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. This is speaking to those people who have accepted Christ as their Saviour and have received a new identity from God. It says that, that at that time, that is before you got saved, you were without Christ being aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That is the condition of most of the people on this planet. They have no hope and they are without God in this world. You know, I said to you that some people look at a brand new year and they hope against hope that something's going to change. Well, that's the situation with people in this world. Spiritually, they hope for something that they have no reason to hope in. They've created their own reality when it comes to God and and the, the life after. They have no hope, but they convince themselves that there is hope in their own efforts. Mephibosheth had no hope. Mephibosheth was in a a desperate situation. He had no prospect for the future. He had nothing, nothing absolutely going for him except for one thing. Except for one thing. A covenant. A promise. Everything was against Mephibosheth except for a promise that was made. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. With all the hatred between David's and Saul's families, there was one thing that made all the difference for Mephibosheth. A promise that David had made with Jonathan before. It says in verse 14 of 1 Samuel chapter 20. It says, And thou shalt not only while yet I live. This This is Jonathan speaking to David beforehand. This is a long time before. He says, And thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. Because he knew that David would one day be king and his father would become an enemy. But, our all, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. They were so close, these two guys. They fought for each other. That Jonathan said, you know when the time comes when you're king and your enemies are being wiped out, remember me and my family. Let Let this agreement that we have with each other, this promise that we make to each other, cause you not to forget me when difficult times come David who would surely become the king of Israel remembered two things after he was installed as king he would remember his love for Jonathan he would remember the covenant with him and because of this agreement he wanted to show kindness to the descendants of Jonathan look at 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1 the very first thing that David did was he looked for someone of Jonathan's descendants. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And David said, He's king now. Okay? And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was at the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba, When they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou, Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machiah the son of Amiel in Lodabah. David heard and wanted to know were there any he could show kindness to from Jonathan's family? And he began the process of trying to find these descendants so he could show them kindness and love because of the love and the agreement that he had with Jonathan. The spiritual lesson there for us is that just like David went to seek Those you could show kindness to. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save those which were lost. Jesus came to seek. Just like David sought to bestow kindness to the descendants of Jonathan because of love, because of an agreement. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave his son. He sent his son into this world to come and to find us and to show us kindness that we didn't deserve. We were part of an enemy family, but because of an agreement that God had made, because of this covenant, God was looking for those who he could bless. The Bible tells us very clearly that man never looks for God. Man doesn't go seeking for God. If you're ever wondering about this, the, the sensitive seeker movement, I don't know if there ever was a, a sensitive seeker movement. Because man doesn't seek after God. The Bible clearly says that God seeks after man. In Romans chapter 3, verse 11, it says, There is none that understand it. There is none that seeketh after God. If that verse is true, then it's true for all. But God looks for man. God comes chasing after man. And then in verse 5, look what it says in verse 5, then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Mekiah, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. He sent someone down there to pick him up. When David discovered where Mephibosheth could be found, he called Mephibosheth to himself. He sent his servants to go and fetch Mephibosheth from his house. This was not Mephibosheth's idea. No doubt Mephibosheth was dreading a knock at the front door. In his mind, a knock at the front door meant he was dead, meant he was finished. This wasn't his idea. This was the king's idea. He assumed that that King David was still his enemy. But in the heart of the king, there was a promise that he was going to keep. And he was going to show kindness. And put, your place, put yourself in the place of Mephibosheth. He's there waiting, waiting for that knock to happen. And then the, you see soldiers there at the front door. What would you think? You wouldn't be too rapt, would you? And they say, you have to come with us. The king wants to see you. And while you're going along with these with the soldiers, you must be thinking to yourself, I've only got a short amount of time to go here. What do I do? So undoubtedly, he's probably asked his guys, uh, uh, what does he want? And they go, oh, no, no, he just wants to, he, he wants to um, be kind to you. He wants to do you some favours. He wants to do you a favour. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, don't worry, you'll be all right. Yeah, okay. However... David didn't have evil plans for Mephibosheth. He had only good intentions for him. In fact, the day that the servants came of David to pick him up was actually the best day of his life. And John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now look at the picture and the parallel between those two things. The the servants of King David came to pick up Mephibosheth to save him, to give him something, to show him kindness, to do what good for him. The king had every intention to bless him. And this is the intention of God when he sent Jesus Christ into the world. He wants to save the world. Not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And we had no hope. As people, we had no hope. But God sent his son to come and rescue us, to bring us back to himself. The Bible says that he's waiting for us in heaven now. And he sent his Holy Spirit to go and... Tell people about him. And he uses his servants in the world to call everyone and say, Hey, God wants to do some good things for you. God loves you. But like Mephibosheth, a lot of people in the world say, No, I can't really believe that. Look at verse 6 to 8 of 2 Samuel chapter 9, it says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. Good move! Mm -hmm. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land, of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, "What is thy servant that thou shouldst look upon such a dead dog as I am?" Yeah, Mephibosheth comes to King David and bows himself to the ground, expecting probably the worst. And David says, "Fear not; don't be afraid of me." I'm going to bless you. I want to give you a life. I want to give you a future. And your future is going to be with me. You are going to eat at my table. I'm going to restore to you all the lands that, that King Saul had. He spoke words of peace and encouragement to him. You know, the right thing that Mephibosheth did was to come and bow down to him. To understand that the king had the power to kill him or to bless him. Do you understand? That the king had ultimate authority over his life. You know, the Bible teaches us that when the Holy Spirit comes to a man or a woman, the first thing he does is he convicts them of their sin. He teaches them their real position before God and what they're really, really worth before Him. Not worth, because worth is something that God bestows on us, but what they deserve. And the right thing to do is to repent and bow down to God and to understand who He is, to respect His position, understanding that He is ultimate authority over us. You know, God... would be justified if he had killed every man, woman and child on this planet. He'd be perfectly justified in every possible way. That he saved even one was grace beyond measure. So the right way to come before God is to come the way Mephibosheth came to King David and said, he's your servant. You've got ultimate power and authority over me. But God speaks the same words to us as David spoke to Mephibosheth. Don't fear me. Fear not. I'm not here to kill you. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm here to give you a future. And Mephibosheth's answer when he finds out what David will do for him, is actually telling and he's actually, you know something? It's the same thing I ask every day. It's the same question I ask every day. What is thy servant that thou should look upon such a dead dog as I am? Why? What was in me that you would choose to send your only begotten son to a cross to pay for my sin? And I think we'll ask that question for the rest of eternity. But Mephibosheth received salvation for the sake of another. He received salvation because of a promise that was made and a covenant that was made between David and Jonathan. He received salvation because of another. The Bible says that we receive salvation because of Christ. God saves us because because of... Jesus Christ. And it tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. It's for Christ's sake that I was forgiven all of my sins. Not for anything that I've done or anything I deserve. The Bible says that because of Him I received forgiveness. And it was because of Jonathan that Mephibosheth received forgiveness and a blessing. Look at verse 11 in chapter 9 of Second um, Samuel. It, said, it says there, And then said Zebra unto the king, According to all that my lord the king hath commanded his servant, so shall thy servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table as one of the king's sons. Do you know what happens to you when you are saved? The Bible says that we are adopted into God's family. One of the greatest things that can ever happen to a person, that will happen to a person once you receive Jesus Christ, is you are no longer identified with a rebellious earthly family, but the Bible says you are adopted into God's family. And we eat at His table. And He treats us for the rest of eternity as His own children with all the blessings and all of the protections and providence and grace that a f- earthly father will give their own children. Do you understand that? But so much more. Mephibosheth was adopted into David's family. He was treated like David's son. And the same thing happens to every repentant sinner. The sinner trusts Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, And they're adopted into God's family and given a completely new identity. And not only that, they're given a new home. A new provision they never had before. It says in verse 13, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the eternal city there, in King David's city. And he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. The man is moved from destitute position of a poor house to a king's palace. He's taken from nothing to feasting at a king's table every day of his life. And so it is with the child of God. We came with nothing and God has given us everything. He gave us his word that we can feast on every day of our lives. And he gives us much more than we can ever imagine. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It didn't matter that Mephibosheth was lame. He was still the child of the king now. And he ate every day at David's table. What's your next year looking like? What's 2017? What does it have in store for you? None of us know. I heard that message was given last night that we don't know what's coming in 2017 and I would perfectly agree with that. But if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you've been adopted into his family, there is every reason to have hope. There is every reason to rejoice. And beside what the world can throw at us, whatever the world's circumstances may be, you are already a child of the king. We can't work our way to God, just like Mephibosheth. We can't walk there. We can't work our way there. And today my challenge to you is if you don't know who you belong to, if you don't know that you're going to heaven when you die one day, because 2017 may hold death for you. Make sure. Because the Bible says that you can know where you're going, And knowing doesn't depend on what we do, but on what has been done for us and who did it. And if you put your faith in him, the Bible says you will not be disappointed. He was the only perfect man in history. And that perfect man gave his life that we might be saved. (coughs) Jesus says, they that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Will you repent today? If you haven't received him, will you repent? Will you come before the king and say, have mercy on me? God bless you. Thank you very much.